Hello, this is EMS Improv Podcast. We are powered by GEMS. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the report doctor, a.k.a. Liz Angeli, PhD, associate professor at Marquette University. Liz is an EMS researcher, writing specialist, and author of Rhetorical Work in Emergency Medical Services, Communicating in the Unpredictable Workplace. Wow, that was a mouthful, Liz. Welcome to EMS Improv Podcast, and I am glad to have known you now for nearly two years as we have collaborated and worked with so many passionate people in, in, in the industry uh, doing projects and research. So welcome to EMS Improv Podcast, and to your followers and, and our followers, welcome. Thanks, Eric. I am really excited to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I am excited when I talk to people that are passionate about what they do. And I'm interested, the EMS Improv podcast uh, was started about the foundation of engage, be mindful. So it's E for engage, M for mindful, and, and then S for story. And we all have stories. And, and yours is one that I found intriguing from the moment that we met virtually as COVID was, was disrupting our entire universe. And we started working with this organization, Comp, and uh, so many amazing people around the, the world. But your story is fascinating to me, and um, you are a PhD, you're uh, an associate professor, but you were an EMT, um, and, and that's amazing. And, and I'm curious if you could let, let me and, and, and your listeners know even more about that story uh, to kind of take us into our, uh, um, into our conversation. Sure, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to. So um, I, uh, I never imagined that I would, I would be an EMT that I would, I would have the opportunity to go through that training. And, you know, looking, looking back, um, I, in high school, you know, I, I'd always known that I wanted to be involved in healthcare or care for people in some way. You know, I was really drawn to psychology. That was actually my, um, my major in college. Um, and as I was, you know, moving along through, you know, my undergrad and I worked at a vet clinic, I thought about being a veterinarian for a while. Um, I learned that I didn't love science enough to pursue a healthcare provider degree. And, but I didn't know what that meant. You know, I still felt this pull towards, towards healthcare, but my gifts and skills and, you know, passions were in other things like communication and sitting with people and listening to people um, and, you know, teaching really. And, you know, I found my way into uh, the field of uh, rhetoric, writing and technical communication, which is what my PhD is in. And through that, I had an opportunity to do an internship um, in upstate New York during my um, doctorate work as a technical writer. And I also you know, worked at a hospital and I, um, after my work at the hospital um, during the day, I would go to the um, volunteer rescue squad because the professor I was working under with this internship He's a PhD in technical communication and um, is a he's a volunteer EMT. Now, now he's a paramedic. But um, I fell in love with EMS. You know, I had one of the best summers ever, um, in part because, you know, I, I did ride-alongs and, you know, I was doing EMS, you know, research. I was learning about patient care reports. And I came back from that summer internship back to my um, uh, uh doctorate um, coursework and I felt like something was missing. And, you know, I still loved teaching. I loved all the, you know, the um, education that I was getting. Um, but I decided to uh, get my EMT certification at night. It was my third year of my PhD program and I was starting to work on a dissertation uh, proposal. Um, and, you know, I didn't know where the EMT class was gonna take me. I just figured, you know, I'd get my certification, see where this goes. Um, you know, maybe I was, you know, being kind of called to be, you know, a paramedic. I, I really didn't know. I just trusted things that I was, I was feeling, pulls that I was noticing. And uh, it was early in my EMT class that um, we talked about report writing. And I was pretty surprised and disappointed um, that, you know, we only spent an hour on report writing. And I, you know, remember sitting in that class thinking, okay, I'm working on my PhD in rhetoric writing and technical communication. I've been teaching college level writing now for a few years. I don't feel confident knowing how to write a report after this one hour lecture. I can't even imagine how other people must feel about this. So I went home that night, started looking through the research databases to see who had studied EMS report writing, um, found that there were 
There was one person who did, his name is Roger Munger. He's a, a professor of English um, who's still in you know, our field of, of rhetoric and, and writing, but he's no longer working with EMS. Um, and I talked to my, my dissertation advisor and I said, I wanna study this. I wanna stop what I was doing with the, with the dissertation proposal I'd been working on. I see a need for EMS report writing research. And he said, go for it. So um, I did. And that was, gosh, now 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago. I, I didn't know that this was going to be, you know, my, my career, but um, I'm glad that I, I trusted it. So um, that, that's how I ended up having both a, 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 a nationally registered, you know, EMT uh, license and, and my, my PhD in rhetoric and writing. So Liz, just first and foremost, wow. That, that took me so many different places. And I know for the listeners that were out there too, is, is um, their brains are firing and, and, and things that you're saying are pinging within them and how they resonate within each of us, whether it's trusting your feelings and, and the pulls that, that we have and, and why we do the things we do or you know doing an internship or lo and behold, stopping a dissertation in the midst of it and being given the permission to do so. Um, I want to come back to that if we get time, because that to me is just mind boggling to begin with. So that that tells me a lot about the tenacity and the passion and the drive for you when you've got that feeling that that's what you're going to do. Um, for our listeners and, and for myself, because I've had to do some research in this and, and being a, a student currently myself, I'm a constant student, but rhetoric, writing and technical communication. Can you let our listeners know a little bit more, not at the dot curl? dissertation or thesis level, but, mm -hmm. you know, kind of an abbreviated, abridged kind of understanding of what that means from an education standpoint. Sure. Uh, so very broadly defined, rhetoric is the theory and the study of persuasion. It gets a bad, uh, it does get a bad rap recently, but, um, uh, you know, we, as rhetoricians, we study how people use different tools to convince audiences to some sort of action. And those tools can be written language, spoken language, body language, um, visu visual language, technology, space, um, like the actual spatial layout of a classroom makes an argument, for example. It tells people where to look and where we look and put our attention usually tells us who who's in a position of power. Um, so I always tell my students rhetoric is everywhere. As soon as you start learning this, you can't unsee it. Um, and I always say, you're welcome and I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's a, um, it's a game changer. And when we start looking at, you know, rhetoric in, in writing, we're really looking at, you know, the, those written forms. Um, I focus on how uh, writing is used in the workplace, uh, specifically health and medicine. My subspecialty is the rhetoric of health and medicine as it applies to uh, pre-hospital care. So I, I look at how patient care reports are um, written how the interfaces people use uh, facilitate or block people's ability to write the narratives and the patient care reports. And I also look at the training of how people are trained to write. So it's um, pretty all encompassing. That's one reason I love uh, the field that I do because it's hard to think about an area of our lives where rhetoric doesn't exist. And, you know, we're, um, you know, we uh, rhetoricians just help people see the world in sort of a different way because we kind of see things a little bit differently. I, I like that. And is it, sorry, as you should be. No, I'm just, <laughs> <joking>. <laughs> I forgot that was on. <laughs> I just checked mine again and I had checked it before we started recording just to yes. make sure. So thank you for that reminder. Yeah, well, um, I had mine on airplane mode. I don't know how it still went out, but you know, anyway, my apologies. Oh, no worries. And thank you for that. Um, <laughs> So one of the things that I do is, is, as you know, is the improv. And, and when I heard rhetoric, I, I just felt that there was a, a, a some something symbiotic between the two because it is everywhere, and it, and and it is how we create an atmosphere of trust and co the co-creative process. And that sounds to me like what you're doing with the students that you work with. Um, before we get into the that fun stuff, I, I just have a curiosity. Um, as you're examining and reflecting upon how we're being impeded by different D chart, chart, so different kinds of uh, things that an employer or an individual is allowed to do on their own, um, 
we're starting to hear that employers are requiring specific annotations or methods because it's easier to extrapolate the, the salient points for billing purposes. Have you run into any conflicts with, with people or employers or agencies that you work with where they're saying, yes, we like this and we understand the, the necessity from, a, from a, a writing and clarity standpoint, yet we need it to be kind of broken down and structured this way from a billing perspective? Yeah, I, this is... This is something that I, I wrestle with a lot and have for a while. I think almost you know my entire career because when I started studying EMS writing um, and when I was in training, that's when things were shifting over from paper into the electronic realm. And I'm sure you remember this too. It was this great promise of oh EHRs are going to make everything easier, mm-hmm. and study after study has shown it's been the exact opposite. However, in some cases the question is well it's gotten easier. The follow up there is well for whom? definitely not the primary users of the EHRs, which are the the providers. And in technical communication, that when we're doing um, uh, research on uh, uh, interfaces, like like PCR interfaces, I mean, my my first question is, when I first saw those interfaces, I thought, this is not designed for the providers to put in information. This is clearly designed for all of the audiences that have to pull this data and in turn, with demand, like the, the interfaces demand a lot of info. And, you know, there's that phrase, good data in, good, you know, good data out, bad data in, bad data out. It's, the interfaces don't facilitate the writing process. I mean, I've been finding that they actually hinder it. And, you know, because they ask for, you know, redundancy of information and, you know, the real meat of what most audiences need is in the narrative. Because that's mm-hmm. where all the decision-making is presented. That's where EMS expertise comes in. You're not going to be able to get that expertise through drop-down menus. So, you know, it's just, and by the time people get to the narratives, they've checked so many boxes. It's just like, you know, yeah, well, they're exhausted. Fatigue is a real thing. You know, mm-hmm. eye, eye strain, um, all this impacts writing, all of it. And you know, that's one thing um, that really, if I can be real frank here, really frustrates me as a writing researcher is, you know, it's the, the, the interfaces or our primary focus is people who need the data, not the people who are inputting the data. And it's, it's always hard for me because I do, well, not since COVID, but ride-alongs at different um, agencies is part of what I do is, you know, my, my research research. Uh, um, Part of my research projects and, and how I collect data. And it's, uh, if I can use the word heartbreaking, it's, it's sometimes mm. heartbreaking to watch the stress of people trying to write and looking at this going, technology can make this better and it's not. And, um, you know, so I, when I do training, I try to do the best I can to help people build up their, the muscle that is a writing skill and people's cognitive ability to, um, hold all the information that needs to be held and give people the confidence of, you know, you have the expertise and the knowledge that needs to be in this narrative. Here's how to demonstrate that. Here's specific words that you can use to help demonstrate your cause and effect thinking and your reasoning. And, um, you know, it's, uh, writing doesn't have to be demoralizing. And unfortunately in healthcare, it, it has become that way. And it's really, um, someone who really values writing and understands how transformative and powerful writing can be. It's, uh, it's been hard to watch this past, oh, I get this 10 years now. Well, you know, in, in hearing you say that, I, I feel the angst and, and um, I, I got off ship this morning and had a, a significantly lengthy um, report and narrative and, and over 30 procedures because of how um, sick the person was. Mm-hmm. And, and to say all of that, to say this, words matter. And, and that sounds so cliche. And yet, you know, when we have people um, like our, our, our friend and colleague, Maggie Adams, that works mm-hmm. so exhausting, uh, you know, to an exhaustive point uh, on EMS reimbursement and compliance and, and working with people to get better, better recovery of, uh, of potential revenue or even lost revenue. And then Jonathan Fate, who works on the... Um, one of our colleagues and friends that works on the, on the, um, the technology aspect. And, 
and all of us working together, collaborating and, and discussing and, and uh, not even agreeing all the time, but accepting that we all have reasons and rationales under guidelines or, or rules that are, we're required to follow mm-hmm. uh, in order to get these things to happen. Um, getting everybody at the table is, is, you know, been one of the more difficult things. And I think COVID has given us a chance uh, for many of us that are like-minded, at least growth mindset minded on, on creating a higher level of engagement with collaboration. Mm-hmm. So I, pre- I appreciate you sharing that and, and, and sharing that your frustrations and, and, uh, and, and angst. And then even with the empathy, noticing it, you know, and it ultimately comes down to where are we spending the money uh, in, in training for something that's required at such a high level and is reviewed ad nauseum at every level for reimbursement by your employer for continuing it or not continuing education, excuse me, but for um, the continuous improvement process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're failing our, our profession, our, our students, our coworkers. If, if we're not stepping up, but then it's like, again, are we going to go from this fire to this fire to this fire? What, what's one is the most important heck staffing is the biggest fire right now, as we know across the country. Mm-hmm. So that, that nevertheless, that's Debbie Downer and, and um, let's get, let's get positive if we can. Um, and I know we can, cause we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get there. I really like, and you, you've written several articles and one of the ones um, how report writing supports paramedic student learning. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what that means and how um, you've done that and, and do that with, with your students and, 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 and how that creates, pun intended or not, um, uh, that student learning. Yeah. Um, so uh, oh, I'm trying to think where to, where to start with, with um, this article. Cause so from, from a writing studies perspective, we have this, uh, it's not even a movement anymore, probably 30 years ago, maybe a little bit more, we started talking about this idea that you can use writing to learn because writing helps people create knowledge. I mean, a lot of times, I see this with my students all the time, they have an idea and they're trying to think about something and I just say, go write it out, write it out. Don't edit, nobody's gonna see it except you. and They'll write it out and go, oh, that's what I'm trying to say with this paper. It's like, yep, you know, talking's important, but there's something about having to put something in writing that um, helps facilitate our learning. And one of the, um, this, this article that um, you mentioned uh, is part of a, um, a long study that I've been doing at the Milwaukee Fire Department um, with their uh, cadet training program. And you know, I've um, seen the, the writing that the uh, cadets have done. I had students participate or cadets who wanted to, they participated in uh, the first um, part of this, this research project. I had them uh, keep a notebook where they wrote down um, notes and they had some reflection that I asked them to do after every call that they were, um, that they were on when they, were in, when they got to their paramedic level of training. And in their reflections, I mean, you could see how they were talking about their expertise and how they were coming to, um, uh, how their decision-making was evolving. Like they were talking about things on scene that influenced, you know, their interventions. And um, they talked about uh, what we in rhetoric call audience awareness. So how much do you know about the people who are on the other side of your report? And um, in the article, i I mentioned that there was uh, one student, one cadet who um, talked about, oh, well, you know, a social worker might read this report. So I wanted to make sure that I quoted the, pa- the patient as saying this. And I thought, yes, that's, that's exactly, you know, what, um, what writing can do. It can help us articulate what we call um, metacognition. It's the, you mm-hmm. know, thinking about thinking. And we know from education research and, you know, uh, uh, research and writing that, that metacognition is what helps bring people to the next level. Like when you can, you know, talk, you know, articulate what you're thinking about thinking, you know, there's um, something that happens um, in our brain. Um, And, you know, it's, uh, and I I see it, you know, in my students all the time. I just, I uh, 
teach a, the, our writing and health and medicine class at Marquette. And um, this week is a finals week and my students, um, their final project uh, in this class is what we call a writing philosophy, a healthcare writing philosophy. And they're asked to um, take our course readings, our guest lectures, class discussions, their own projects that they've done during the semester and articulate a philosophy about who they are going to be as a communicator in healthcare. And that can be from a patient perspective, a future provider perspective. And one of the students wrote um, how much he learned, um, how much power he realized writing had. He said, you know, I can see, he said, I was, he, he wrote one of his first projects was about um, a healthcare experience that he had. And he said, it wasn't until I wrote about that health experience that I realized I hadn't fully processed what had happened that day to me. And, you know, he, he said, writing is a knowledge making activity. This, and that's, you know, um, and I, I said, yes, like this is the power of writing. It can help us be mindful and um, make sense of the world around us. And, um, and then that facilitates learning. So um, writing can help us go through uh, what are known as threshold concepts. And so these are concepts that once you learn them, you can't unlearn them and you don't ever see the world in the same way again. And audience awareness is one of those threshold concepts. Um, and it's uh, always really great. It's like those light bulb moments you see going off. It's, you know, when, when students say, oh, you mean I don't write for myself, I write for other people? It's like, yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> there are people mm -hmm. on the other side of the document that uh, that's your priority. You got to think about, think about that. Um, but yeah, and it's, and it's so much more uh, beyond just, you know, in that one hour course and, and what, how many times do we hear just paint a picture for them? Oh yeah. Paint a I, picture for them. <laughs> can I, can I tell you how many, I have big problems with that phrase. I have, <laughs> I have big problems with that phrase and I'll tell you for a few reasons. So I did part of the study I did with MFD. Um, I, uh, Minneapolis. Oh, sorry. No, it's Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Milwaukee yep. Fire. I, yeah, no, it's okay. Knowing where you live and that's what a mistake. I apologize. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, I, uh, I asked, uh, some of the, the, uh, research participants in the first project, I, um, I, I said, you know, what, what do you associate with the word story? And they said, oh, fiction, children, entertainment, you know, details. And I thought, okay, what do you associate with the word, um, argument? They said, oh, facts, convincing someone that something happened, you know, that that's accurate. And they, they went on, you know, kind of to describe, they said details for that too. And I, I said, there's the difference. If we're telling people to paint a picture, we are putting them in a mindset that doesn't actually facilitate the writing that reports need to have. Argument, data, evidence. Um, arguments are, or uh, reports are persuasive documents. They convince readers that effective and appropriate action was taken. Um, stories don't do that. Stories, the whole purpose of stories is to entertain. And, you know, from in, in writing studies words, we would call this, it's a, it's a mismatch of genre. Mm -hmm. So when we think about genre, you know, that helps us that we come to a genres of specific expectations. Podcasts are a genre. They have their own, you know, sets of expectations, different movie genres, you know. Um, and so I've, excuse me, I've, um, I've been kind of on a, campaign to get people to think about narratives not as narratives and not as stories but as data-driven persuasive arguments that are rooted in fact and expertise and you know you know knowledge from the scene um so yeah yeah what thank you uh, <laughs> so several things that i heard and felt and and, and i'm a big believer in in you know when we when we hear that paint a picture or tell a story about what happened and and like you said that's a, a mismatch of genre that's uh not allowing us to be decisive or fact-driven or share truly our expertise because it puts us in a completely it's it's a juxtaposition of where we need to be yep and um it allows for it and everything i keep hearing resonates with me it's it's the right brain left brain integration when you when that creativity in that writing and they start understanding why they're writing and the power of writing and the trust in the process, um, 
is, is when I think that really starts to take off for people. And I've seen it myself. And, and again, to, to go back there, we do it with the improv piece because we need people to understand and, and be aware that, that they're in a safe, psychologically safe environment. And so that's what I'm assuming you're also doing with the students and those that are volunteering to be in these research projects, that, that it's in, in, in inherently safe, that what they're sharing with you, their, their feelings, their concerns, their frustrations, whatever the, the emotion may be, that it's going to be, uh, they're giving it to you with trust and you're not going to abuse that, that trust. Yep. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, um, I mean, from a research perspective, you know, whoever is in my, my, and I use Milwaukee fire with permission. I mean, when I started working with them, I said, you know, I can give you a pseudonym. I'm, you know, but they said, no, 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 it's okay to use their names, but the, you know, the cadets, I, I don't refer to them, you know, by, by their actual names. Um, but the idea of safety and, um, makes me think of taking risks. And in, uh, one of the early studies I did with Milwaukee, I, I usually always start with one-on-one interviews with participants just to get to know them and kind of like you've been talking about, hear their story and learn a little bit about where they're coming from. Um, a lot of people don't have very good experiences with writing. You know, it's nobody gets in. I, I mean, I shouldn't speak in absolutes, but I have not yet met one person who became a paramedic because they wanted to write narratives. Um, <laughs> You know, and if that person is out there and exists, please email me because I would love, I'd love to talk about to, to you. Um, but, you know, and I, I know that going into this. And so there's so much anxiety that comes with having to write a report. You know, I know people have experiences where they've been told they can't write. They've been told they're bad communicators, you know, they, and that's not true. I firmly believe everybody can learn how to write effectively. I, I've, I've seen it happen. You know, I've been teaching college writing now for oh, 15 years and I've, I've never met one student that hasn't improved in some way. And, you know, these are students that have come in that, you know, I read a, in, you know, the first, cause I usually teach workplace writing based classes, mm-hmm. you know, though the first project, let's say our assignment is a memo. And, you know, this one student in particular, I'm thinking he had a sentence that was three lines long on a single space paper. And I, I came up to him and I said, okay, I said, I, I'm, let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, where, you know, uh, your experience with writing went. And he's like, I just can't do it. You know, Dr. Angela, I just can't do it. I've been told I can't write academic. I'm not ever going to be able to do this. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put, you know, some constraints on, on your writing. And I don't do this with everybody, but I said, Every sentence you write can only be eight to 10 words long. Like start there, you know, try to say what you have to say in a short amount, you know, a phrase and just start thinking about, you know, what points you want to get across. By the end of that semester, you know, we worked together. He really put in the time. He grew by leaps and bounds from where he was. And, and the, the important thing is thinking about that, that article that I wrote about um, how report writing facilitates learning. He could articulate how he grew. And it was, it was incredible. And this happens frequently, you know, when, um, you know, we're willing to think about, you know, what stories have I been told about myself and my ability either with, you know, writing or academics or whatever it might be, how am I willing to let those stories go? And what new stories am I going to start telling about myself and to myself? You know, that's where, um, you know, the real transformation in, in education and training happens. And, you know, I, Training can be a safe place to do that. You know, I encourage people to take risks, um, you know, especially with writing. If anyone is integrating writing into um, EMS training, I always suggest that writing is never punitive. I've seen some training sites where it's like if, if cadets or students fail a, an exam, they have to write. They have to like copy something from a book. I'm like, don't do that. Don't do it. Because that just makes writing more punitive. Mm-hmm. And then there's more associations with why, you know, people don't want to write and, um, you know, it's, and I don't know, I could, I could, I could keep talking about effective ways to, to integrate um, writing into training, but, but that's one of the biggest things is, um, you know, people do need safe spaces to try out new skills and writing in, in EMS is often one of those for, for people. So for you, um, and I'm assuming across the, 
the the profession of rhetoric writing and technical communications. This is beyond pedagogy. I mean, this is beyond theoretical because there's you, you have identified and you're presenting to our listeners practical and salient points and applications for which these things can happen, and we can see uh, fruitful change and in, in, in improvement in the people that you're working with. And if if an organization or a training staff want to help their their employees improve, there are things that can be done. Absolutely. I mean, that's one reason I love my field of rhetoric and technical communication, because we thrive on praxis. You know, we, we publish things, we develop theories, we, we, you know, look at sort of, you know, these, I would say, less tangible things, but I should say, and, and at the same time, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I thought about that. <laughs> I was like, oh, Eric's going to appreciate this. Um, and at the same time that we're building theory, there are people that are implementing it. I mean, that's, I almost left my PhD because I, and this is actually one reason I, I went into the EMT class. I just, I was sitting in a, in a high level tech comm theory class that I, I learned a lot from. And at the same time, I was feeling constrained. I thought, how can I implement what I'm learning here to the world outside of the university? Because not everybody wants to go to college. Not everybody has the privilege and the opportunity to go to college. And there are, I just really saw ways to implement this in in places um, that needed it. And then EMS happened to be the place that kind of popped up at the same time. Um, But that's everything I do, you know, my publications, everything I write for an academic and practitioner audience. I mean, that was one reason I went with the publisher I went with for my book because I didn't go with the university press, even though that's quote unquote more prestigious in academia because I wanted a publisher that would encourage me and help me think about how can I write to the people who I can really see affect this change. So people who are in EMS training, um, the providers and to you know, people like me who teach writing love teaching, writing, research, writing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's never an either or for me. It's always a, a both. And how can I, you know, research this develop theory and, you know, help the people who are on the ambulance that's going down my street, you know, at, at the same time. Fantastic. So for the listeners and, and just for a point of clarification, uh, praxis, uh, in, in this words, like the test and measures the knowledge and skills that we need or you need to prepare for a classroom, or more specifically, uh, were you referring to praxis in psychology, the process by which uh, a theory or lesson becomes part of a lived experience through the cycle of action and reflection, action, and, and so on and so forth? Were you, what were you speaking to more on that? The, the latter, but I really like that first definition too. But yeah, um, the, the second one, the latter, the second one is what I was, uh, had in mind. And, and that's what I, that's what I try to do. Um, and, and one of the things that I think why, you know, I, I truly believe, you know, science one, but we're Wi-Fi connected. You know, we have these things that are literally called mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen all these studies where you can put three people in a room and the strong, even without speaking, the strongest, uh, um, individual, and, and we're not talking about physical strength, um, obviously, is going to whatever they're doing, their psyche, their motivations, their actions are going to permeate the other two and, um, you know, the positive or be it positive or negative or whatever the case may be. Yep. So um, you had talked um, several minutes ago about um, sitting, listening, teaching, the polls, the trusting your feelings. Mm-hmm. That's um, coming back off to psychology and, and, and it, it, psychology is near and dear to my heart. If, if I could be a psychologist and a clinical, um, a licensed clinical uh, practitioner of some sort, a, a listener, um, plus everything else I want to do when I grow <laughs> up, um, I, you know, th- those would be my like miracle magic kind of um, spiritual, awesome kind of opportunities. And, and I realize it too, I don't have to necessarily hold certain things, but if you're holding space for people, if you're being intentional about uh, being in relationship with people, you're serving uh, a greater good, um, barring just, you know, desire to do something because you can earn money from it. And Mm -hmm. your passion transcends, obviously, the the earning potential uh, from being an associate professor and or having um, the company that you 
that, that you have. Mm-hmm. So is there, is there something, I'm going to be very ambiguous in this question. I apologize. Okay. So I'm not, I, I, I'm redirecting myself. It's amazing what we can do if we just stop. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Fe- trusting your feelings and your polls. And you, you had mentioned something about that. You had gone to your, um, the instructor and said, I want to stop my dissertation uh, mm-hmm. and, and I want to do this now. Um, and that takes beyond bravery. And, and for anybody that's obviously, I have not um, achieved a PhD and it, one day I'll have a master's degree. But um, what is within you or outside of you that you call to that allows you, affords you gives you permission, if you will, to do things like that or to be in the position you are in the service of others, even as a, an associate professor, even though you've uh, given up your EMT credentials? That is a beautiful question. Um, wow. So, yeah, so speaking of taking, taking a breath, um, so a few things, a few things come to mind. Um, my first, the first word that comes to mind is what part in me, you know, allows me to do this. And I, I did not have this language when I was um, in graduate school, you know, going through this, but today I can look back and I can say um, it is my spirituality, my trust in the wisdom that I receive from something that is beyond me, that works through me and with me and within you, Eric, and within who's ever listening to this, um, that grounds me and just helps me think about what is the next best step and being okay with not having the answers about, you know, well, why would I want to go to EMT class? That seems, what, why? But, you know, it's just like, no, this is a thing that I want to do and I'm going to do it. Um, so I, uh, so I, my, actually my spirituality is the foundation of all that I do. I call myself, um, this is a word I think I made up. I, 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 don't, I don't know if anyone else has used this, but I came to this a couple of years ago. I call myself a spiritual academic because I, you know, I, think about spirituality. If I'm having an issue with my research or something that I'm writing, I go sit and close my eyes and pray or meditate or just take a minute and just ask, what do I need to say here? What give, you know, what words do I need in order to um, help people do what's, you know, next, you know, the next best thing for them. And, you know, I do that with, with training when I'm hitting roadblocks, it's like, okay, I'm hitting roadblocks. I got to pivot. I don't know where to pivot. So I take a minute and I just, you know, I go for a walk. I do something different. I'm, I'm big into biking. I'll hop on my bike and just go. Um, but, uh, I, I would say it's, you know, what the part in me is this, this deeper sense of knowing that what I do is not for myself or, you know, just, you know, for the sake of, whatever publications, you know, I, it's, it's for the, the greater good of, of, of EMS and the people that are called to EMS. Um, you know, I, I see myself as having a really truly unique skill set that, um, to my knowledge, hasn't really been brought to EMS before. And I mean, I think, you know, the, the job of being a paramedic in an EMT is hard enough anything, you know, that I can do to help alleviate that, that stress, you know, through, through, um, writing or training or education is, um, is, is important to me. Um, because it's also as someone I was talking to, it took someone actually at Marquette who was interviewing me for something last year, took someone outside of me to realize this. She said, you know, what you do really impacts patient care. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh yeah. But I mean, isn't that nuts? Like I've been doing this for 10 years and I just, I, I, and of course, reports are part of the patient care continuum, but I am just so focused on supporting, you know, the education and the providers that it never even occurred to me 
that this work was spilling out into the, the community and patient care. And that was a moment I, in that interview, I actually started getting teary out. I thought, and I said, I said, I need a minute. I said, I just need a minute because things are aligning within me and making connections that I hadn't thought of before. And it was really powerful. Um, but, you know, it's, um, I just really see the work that, that I'm doing with this as helping providers show up on scene in a different way so that they can listen and provide care and um, document everything in a way that, you know, is going to have some sort of impact either on the patient's lives or someone else who reads the report. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question. As I pause, I'm like, I don't even know if I answered your question, Eric. So <laughs> yes, oh. it did. Thank you. And yes, and see what I did there, Liz. Yeah, I saw that. I heard that. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to enumerate several things here mm -hmm. uh, without actually putting numbers in front of them, but they'll be in, in a chronological order that I choose to make up myself. <laughs> okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Um, first and foremost, I, I enjoyed hearing and, and, and that you said, you know, your spiritual um, academic and that you mentioned prayer or um, uh, meditation. And, and for the listeners out there that might have been immediately thrown askew and, and turned off, I'm, I'm glad you're still here because that's absent religiosity. It's, it's, it's absent yep. a specific faith system. And we're not here to challenge anybody's faith systems. Um, uh, spirituality is, is within you and to whom or what or with uh, you convene. And that, that could be ethereally or, or physically whatever that means for you. So I'm grateful that that's how you shared it. And I wanted to just kind of expand upon that from my perspective and for the listeners that, you know, get, get a little bit uh, upset about the conversation where something that they assimilate. And again, it words matter. Um, right. we, we can hear spirituality and then, you know, somebody that I know has been hurt by a church, a faith mm -hmm. system, a religion. Yep. And, uh, so I want to remove that. And, and if, if somebody has been hurt, that's listening, um, I can't apologize for the person, the organization or the faith system that's hurt you, but we, we we're here with you. So I just wanted to say that. And, and, and we accept that, uh, that you've had hurt and pain. Um, we talked about before we started the recording about Eckhart Tolle mm -hmm. and, and surrender is the simple, but profound wisdom of yielding to rather than opposing the flow of life. And, to take that a little bit more vividly potentially is accept each moment as it is. It doesn't mean we have to agree with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where spirituality also allows us to have a, a, you know, people call it Zen or call it meditation or, you know, your oming or, or, or whatever we're doing um, in, in silence or in chaos, you know, whatever works for each individual. Um, so this isn't obviously a, a, a podcast on spirituality Yet I, I thought it would be important enough from my perspective uh, to, to kind of thank you for sharing that and then expounding a little bit further on um, you weren't trying to pigeonhole a person out there or, or make them feel like they have to proclaim some sort of faith at this point if they accept what you're talking about. Because oh, so, yes. yep. so, so easily people get turned off because of, of what we've perceived to have been said. And, and that kind of goes the antithesis of what we're trying to do here with engage, be mindful and let people share their stories. Mm -hmm. And what we hope for each of you out there, and I know I can speak for you on this, is that we can stand with and be beside, don't always have to like even, but if we accept people's premise, and I like to use I feel statements versus mm -hmm. I'm speaking of fact, um, we tend to allow conversations to be more organic and continue because we're not shutting people down. So that, that, that went way off into right back to left field and then came across home plate. <laughs> so nevertheless, um, this has been fantastic and, and I don't want to wrap up and, and, and I think I might have a few more questions as I was talking and kind of 
fumbling over words and, and kind of thinking about uh, spirituality. Did anything resonate with you or pop into your mind that said, oh, I, you know, I want to tackle that or talk about that that you want to share with your followers and our listeners? Yeah, I am. Um, because, I mean, you're right. I mean, spirituality is we don't talk about it enough and it gets, I think, conflated with with you know, being religious. And sometimes they can be the same thing for a lot of people, you know, they, they are the same, but I like what you said um, about spirituality being within us. Cause I often describe religion as something that I do or did. Um, Cause I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to one religion anymore. I was, I was raised Catholic, grew up Catholic, work at a Catholic school, you know, Marquette's Jesuit. I did my undergrad at Marquette. Um, I really value and live uh, the, um, the Jesuit mission every day of cure personalis, care for the whole person. Um, but for me, spirituality is really who I am. And uh, kind of speaking of, you know, trusting polls, um, I'll mention this just because this has kind of popped up for me while we've been talking. A couple of years ago, I got a very specific poll that said, consider spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember t- thinking to myself, and I think I said out loud, oh, what, what the heck? Like I'm in spiritual direction. You know, I meet with the spiritual director every month. I, what does this mean? And I just kind of dismissed it. I was like, I got enough on my plate universe. I'm not doing this. And, you know, I sat down with my spiritual director and, t- and told him this. And I said, and I think the words I used were, oh no, I think uh-huh. I'm being asked to become a spiritual director. And I, in those moments of fear, I always am like, okay, Fear to me signals that I'm standing on the, the edge of something big and I, I'm being asked to explore this. And so, you know, I went through a two-year training program to become a spiritual director um, in that training. You know, I, we really transform ourselves and so that we can sit with other people and hold their stories and see where their idea of the divine is um, working within them. And uh, it's been such an opportunity and it's helped me rethink all the stuff, all the work that I do, um, you know, with EMS and, you know, being a spiritual director has given me permission to dream and be creative and be imaginative and to trust that my curiosity is my greatest teacher. And I can ask questions that, you know, 10 years ago, I would, you know, 15 years ago, I would have said, oh, Liz, don't ask that. That's dumb. But now I'm like, forget it. You know, I'm trusting whatever is coming up um, in me. Um, and who knows, you know, where, where that'll lead. It's that sort of yes and. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, that was that, but it kind of, kind of comes back to, um, you know, where, where are you being led thinking about why you're drawn to the spaces you are? I mean, I had to, I spent a lot of time in spiritual direction this past year thinking about why was I really pulled into EMS? Like at first I just thought it was the adrenaline because I mean, the whole thing of being unpredictable and not knowing, I'm like, this is fun. And I like this. And as I sat with it more with the help of my spiritual director, I realized I, as you know, now with ride alongs, but more when I was, you know, when I had my, my, um, my EMT, uh, I, you know, it, it's the sense of patients inviting you into their space at their most vulnerable. And that to me was humbling and, you know, really being able to meet people where they are at when they need assistance. And, you know, now my work as a spiritual director, I kind of, I get to do the same thing, but, you know, people are inviting me into their souls and their, their life stories and, you know, to, to sit with them and to think through um, where, where am I being led next? Or, you know, how can I better have this relationship with, you know, my partner or my, you know, my child or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, you know, spirit, it's, it's been life-giving to kind of get at the root of what drew me into EMS in the first place. And that's kind of helped me have a better understanding of everything I do in, in this realm. Um, and it wasn't the answer that I thought it was going to be. And so often that's the way that things are for me. It's like, oh, I think it's going to be this. It's like, actually, no, <laughs> it's this, you know, it's this other, other idea or answer that, you know, seems to come out of left field, but, you know, ends up aligning with um, a lot. With a lot. Um, you, you gave yourself permission. You said yes to yourself to accept something that may 
have pushed you well beyond your comfort zone that pushed you into saying yes and i don't want to continue this i need to pursue this and and i think if we talk about mental health for just a, a brief minute since mm. we've we've had several people on in, in the last month sure really nailing mental health and talking about counseling and, and how spirituality may may help there the more that i am okay with me the the good the bad the consequences and once i've dealt with the consequences nobody can hurt me with that again mm-hmm. other than myself if i allow it to come back and permeate so there's this thing about forgiveness for self and, and having grace for yourself and saying yes to yourself that that i think affords each of us an ability to to be more authentic and to be more real when, when we wear our body armor our our facades our whatever you want to call it um you know, it's more difficult for us to be comfortable with ourselves because we are maybe potentially being a little bit inauthentic, if not very inauthentic. Um, you know, children, uh, children play games. As adults, now we play the game. And, you know, being creative and, and, and thinking about grand things and having these wild, which we now call adults, you know, delusions of grandeur. You know, mm. when you can run fun yeah. and fancy free as a, as a kid or as a youth, you know, you start becoming an adolescent and then, you know, what is wrong with them? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we start questioning at, at, a, at a relatively young age, still rather formative ages uh, for, for boys and girls. Uh, we start putting encumbrances on, on, on us and we, we do a disservice even early on in, in what structure means informal education, I think, to the creative process as well. That's a whole nother conversation mm-hmm. um, for hours long. Yet, um, I, I'm so appreciative of, of your share, your heart, your spirit, um, the simpatico between and the freeness for which you allow yourself to receive and then give uh, in, in trust, you know, you have enough trust in, in yourself. And, and that takes some fine tuning. And, and, oh, yeah. you know, we ask obviously our listeners to uh, not make knee jerk reactions, if, if you will, uh, to be well thought out, have, a, have somebody, uh, whether it's a spiritual advisor or an accountability partner, mm-hmm. or, or a mentor, somebody of wisdom for a different perspective, before we make decisions sometimes and how freeing that is to say, I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of brings it back to you did something, you became an EMT, and then 15 years, 12, 13, 15 years later, you're now writing books and doing research and working with fire and EMS transport agencies to serve not only the citizens for the hospitalist that's going to read the report because the ER doc's typically not, or the internist or the interventionist um, for their families, for whomever for for them to just feel more confident um all wins if if we're counting uh wins and losses um but sadly in life we can't cause you know life is uh finite at least in the physical mm-hmm. so it creates an interesting position but i think the best the, to be forewarned is to be forearmed i think is the saying and uh, you're giving people tools, you're giving people um, your passion and gift, if you will allow me to say that, to use at their discretion with guidance to better serve others. So you're in service of others and so that they can better serve people. Liz, uh, Dr. Angeli, uh, for people, organizations that want to get in touch with you, um, where can they reach out to you? Yeah, so a few um, different ways. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you just, you know, search Liz Angeli, um, I, I should come up there. I think I'm the only Liz Angeli, I hope. Um, but uh, might not be. But um, uh, if you go to, if, if you want to talk to me about uh, EMS education and report writing training, my website for that is the report doc. That's reportdoc.com. Uh, my email is on there. My email for that is liz at the report doc.com. Um, 
And I should mention if something stirred in you about spiritual direction or thinking about that or wanting to learn more, um, I'd be more than happy to talk with anybody who might have questions about that. Um, that you can go to my um, professional website. That's lizangeli.com. If you Google me, Liz Angeli Spiritual Direction, um, I think that should come up. I've never actually Googled that. Combo, it, does, it does. It does. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, I don't like Googling myself. It just ugh, makes me uncomfortable. Um, but uh, yeah, if, um, and I'm on Twitter too, at, at Liz Angeli. Um, but yeah, I'd be, uh, like I said, I can talk to people about training, about spiritual direction. Um, I can put people in touch with, with spiritual directors too. I see people for spiritual direction. Um, yeah, I, this is like we said before, this isn't something I thought we were going to talk about, but there it is. I'm just going to put it out there for whoever might be interested in it. It's, you know, when we think why we're doing something and then the universe uh, re redirects the, the the focus or the intent well the intent's been there but they redirect where the focus needs to be that that's uh allowing for the flow and accepting what's in front of us again don't have to agree with it but if we fight it we're going to be in constant conflict with ourselves and and those around us so um that's my two cents on that subject um so a quick tease and, and before i get to, uh, the opportunity to say thank you and and until we meet again uh, via our interwebs, um, you, you and I have had the opportunity to be a part of an organization, the Congress of Mobile Medical Professionals, COMP, um, since, uh, well, coming up on 24 months. Yeah. We have been, and you specifically in Victoria, and can you name the other two young ladies? Uh, my research assistant this year was Julia Jezikowski, um, okay. and uh, Victoria Reinhardt's uh, uh, research assistant was Sabrina, and I'm very, uh, I do not remember her last name. I, and I have it, but I can't remember either. So, okay. Apologies so between, to Sabrina. Yeah, mine as well, Sabrina, and I, I'm sorry. Um, the four of you in particular, but then your hearts of collaboration, because you're the experts in the research, and thank you to Marquette University for for um, looking at, at the um, at the study and, and seeing that it met the criteria, um, so I, I'm, I'm grateful. But to be a part of that, and what is the what is the little tease, Liz, that we can tell the listeners that that maybe may or may not be forthcoming uh, without <laughs> giving it away. Uh, yes, we did. Uh, we did a study on um, the sort of the disconnects between the uh, training and continuing education that providers receive and the practice in the field. So we, um, all of us sort of independently had noticed gaps in training and practice. And we wanted to see what providers across the United States had to say about it. So we conducted a national survey last year um, with, with support from Marquette University. And um, uh, we, have, we have results. We have results and they were forthcoming uh, probably in February, 2022. So keep an eye out for on our social media venues. We will be um, publishing. We'll be sharing those those links. It's a uh, it's pretty interesting stuff, especially in light of the um, revised education standards that came out. They um they really speak to each other, I think, quite well. So it's interesting how that timing worked out. It really is, and, and uh, uh, so newsflash again, forthcoming hopefully February. Um, good study, hopefully some actionable items uh, for, for our, those of us in our profession from all aspects and major player in, in, in EMS uh, is, is knocking with the, um, the place where it, it, we hope it to be. So we have been together for a good amount of time. And for those listeners out there that uh, are still with us um there is this thing called pause and we thank you for pausing if you if you've done that and come back to to listen to the end i am grateful i'm humbled for your time your missional attitude your spiritual uh how do i say wait, your spirit i'll just I'll, I'll just recant the spiritual and just say your spirit uh for your knowledge and your desire to share actionable items, action items, and, and 
techniques with people like myself. And it's been a pleasure to grow in a relationship with you for nearly two years now. And I look forward to a, a, um, a, a long-term, both from an academic, but also um, a professional non-academic uh, relationship going into the future. Anything you'd like to say to your followers and our listeners in closing, Dr. Angeli? Well, thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk today. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I'm coming away with new learnings. And so that's always, always a good thing. So thanks everybody out there for listening and um, feel, don't hesitate to get in touch. I, I'm available via email. So I'm here. Right on. So this has been and is the EMS Improv Podcast. We are powered by GEMS. Please remember to engage, be mindful, Tell or share your story.